This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. Last night, as I was wrapping up the show, if you were listening right till the bitter end last night, you'll know that right as we were coming out of our last break, I mean literally at about five minutes to nine, the news broke about who that person's face was who had been put out by the police who had thrown the beer can at Roger Center. You know what I'm talking about, right? I mean, it's it was... I joked at the beginning of the show before we knew anything about it that the police had obviously picked the most evil-looking photo possible because the guy looked like pure evil in the photo the police handed out. So by the end of the show, five minutes, we're just coming out of the news break and Luke yells in my ear with literally the music almost ready to come in for me to come back in after the commercials. They've identified, they've found out, they've named the person who it is who's in that picture. And so literally in the span of seconds, I'm calling up the story and I'm looking and it's, holy moly, it's a Hamilton guy that has been identified by the Metro newspaper, by the Toronto Sun, by a bunch of other papers. It's a, it's a Hamilton guy who is now being identified as the person in that picture that the police are saying is the suspect as the guy who threw the beer can. Now, I got to tell you something about this because last night I made a conscious decision. You don't have a lot of time sometimes, especially in this case. I didn't have a lot of time to think, to read the story very clearly. I didn't have a lot of time to think it through. And so I made a conscious decision that I wasn't going to name the person. I mean, obviously the name was going to be out there. If you were so inclined, you could go out and find the name of the person, but I wasn't going to do it. I wasn't going to be the one to put the name out there because I wasn't sure of what was going on really. All I know, all I knew was that somebody had been identified and the name was now out there and it was a Hamilton person. And why am I telling you that? Well, it's not for a pat on the back for me. Um, You know, discretion is the better part of valor, right? That's what we always say. If you're not sure about something, you try to not be careless. And that's what I was trying to do. And that, that's, that kind of comes back to when I got off the air then and I'm driving home and I'm sitting at home and then through the day today, I got to tell you, there is a part of me that is kind of squeamish about this whole thing. Now I I've watched the videos, every video that I think that is out there online right now, I have watched about the beer can flying out of the stands and who threw it. Is it him or is it a blonde woman that may or may not exist? Or is it a person here or a person there? And I'll tell you what, somehow back in 1963, Abraham Zapruder with his eight millimeter camera got a better quality image of the Kennedy assassination than we have now in 2016 of someone throwing a beer can out of the bleachers at Rogers Center. I, I, I honestly cannot tell you after numerous viewings, I cannot tell you who threw that beer can. Well, I was talking to Luke before the show. Luke has watched it numerous times. He's not entirely sure who throws the beer can. It's impossible basically to tell. And this is why I got so squeamish as the day was going on and as last night was going on, because I am hoping, I am seriously, seriously hoping that the Toronto police have some other bit of evidence that there is some security video system in Roger Center, that there is some other better definition video of this event that actually shows the, the beer can flying than what we have and what we've seen. I am hoping, I am 
deeply hoping that they have based the fact that they're releasing his photo, which has allowed his name to be discovered, which has allowed him to be outed, which has now put him in the social media crosshairs, I am deeply hoping that they have something beyond the grainy, indecipherable video to base all this on. Because I'll tell you something. I spent part of last night and part of today imagining what if... I mean, I was at a game last year. I was at the Bautista home run game last year with my son. I mentioned that a few times. And if you recall that game in the seventh inning, remember when Russell Martin threw the ball back and it hit the, and it hit the bat, Sin Su Chu's bat, and it bounced and Rujnet Adur ran in and there was chaos. Beer cans were flying everywhere. Beer cans were flying out of the stands everywhere. And all I'm thinking is, okay, I was there. I didn't throw a beer can. I didn't throw anything. Oh, good. But what if the what if an image had shown a beer can flying out of the area where I was sitting, and all of a sudden, it's my picture that's in the paper, that's online, that's in social media. I would hope, I would expect that if that was going to happen, that there would be some really compelling, really convincing evidence. Because I'll tell you what, here's why I get so skittish about this. If you go back... 20 years, roughly. I don't even know how many years it is exactly. 20 years, roughly. There was a guy, you'll know his name probably. His name was Steve Bartman, who was at a Chicago Cubs game. He was sitting in the front row along the third baseline, and there was a pop fly that was hit that was coming into the stands. Steve Bartman is looking up at the sky. He's not looking anywhere else. He's looking up at the sky at this pop fly, this foul ball that's going to land, and he reaches for it. And as it turns out, the ball didn't quite get into the stands. It probably was six inches to a foot over the edge of the bleachers where he was sitting onto the playing area. And because he reached for it, he prevented the Cubs right fielder, Moises Alou, from making the catch. And after that happened... Theoretically. I'd th- love to point that out because who knows if he actually would have caught that Fair ball. enough, but th- he, it, it looks like he prevented him from at least getting a clean shot at it. And so, and from that point, Cubs, the Cubs fell apart after that. It wasn't the only bad play, but the Cubs fell apart and then all of a sudden they lost to the Florida Marlins. They didn't get to the World Series. On and on and on. S- Steve Bartman became public enemy number one. Steve Bartman became vilified, hated, hunted. Steve Bartman became the very, a name that is now synonymous with a person who became a victim of a pack mentality among the fans. And this was before the internet. This is is the insanity. This is exactly my point. This happens before Facebook, before Twitter, before Instagram, before all these things. This happens... Way before social media, this happens at a time when he was it was he was being vilified in the old traditional ways. Now imagine what happens today if you put out a person's face and you, on in a picture and you say this is the guy, and with social media he is being killed, not literally, thankfully, nothing that we know of. He's he's safe. He's but. You go on social media and this guy from Hamilton is being shredded. And all I can think of as I'm watching this is this guy have better have done it. Because if he didn't, if there's not convincing evidence that the police don't have, 
There is no way in the world this should have gone out because this guy is now at the center of a firestorm. I'm sorry, it's at... So, do I believe... Do I believe the police? I am someone who is generally, almost always, an ardent, vigorous supporter of the police. I will lean towards defending the police as a default position over the alternative. That doesn't make me, though, a cultist for the police. I believe the police. I believe the officers are doing their best. I believe that they don't look to do bad things. Are there bad police officers? Of course there are bad police officers. There's bad everybody's of every profession. I'm not naive. But if but do I So I I have to believe. I want to believe that the police must have some kind of other clearer evidence because if they don't this guy is being just tormented and it may not even be him we don't know based on what we've seen we don't know and to me that's scary to me that is scary especially in the social media world last night as we were coming out of the break i was going online to try and find he had already taken down his twitter twitter feed and his facebook page and his facebook page probably well, I mean, people will read into it different ways. Somebody will say that's guilt complex. Others will say, no, he just knows what's about to come his way. It's going to be yeah. a landslide of abuse. As a guy who is in the media, he knows exactly what's going to happen. And it's the same thing in, in the Metro story when they broke it. They said that a an unnamed colleague was quoted as saying he ran out of work when the picture was released. Well, of course he did, because all the people in his work know that's him and are immediately going to start blaming him. Like the first thing he probably did is go and see his lawyer. It, it is not an admission of guilt. I will admit that when I saw that, I thought that that's a pretty uh, interesting point that seems to indicate that it's him. But it's it makes a lot of sense that even if he didn't do it, that would be his first reaction because that would probably be your first reaction if I, he ran out. Yeah, I, my, my feeling on this today, I, I got to tell you, I am, I feel a little queasy about it. I do. I feel a little bit queasy about this whole thing because... The way I've been left now, the position that I, and I think a lot of people have been put in is, I am hoping now that this guy did it. Not because I have a thing against, I I mean, I don't want someone from Hamilton to be the guy who did this. I don't really want him to have done it. He's a good journalist. I've read his stuff. But the alternative to me of... is if I don't want him to do it is that he is being railroaded and he is being vilified and he is being made into an evil bad guy here. So the, the, the only two choices we have is a guy is being ruined or he did it. And I'm just, you, you sit there and you go, boy, I, you know, I hope he didn't. I mean, I, I, I hope that it it's a mistake, but if that's the case, then man, a, a horrible mistake has been made. And and here's what should have happened. I mean, honestly, even if he even if he did it, what should have happened is the police. I believe, in the interests of caution, should have put out the photo. Perhaps, unless again, unless they have some compelling piece of evidence. But if it's if it's what we've seen. We'd like to talk to this guy because the beer can came from somewhere in the seats in his vicinity and we believe he may have seen who did it or seen something. And if people want to read into that that he's a suspect, fine. But as soon as you say he's a suspect, 
you've got the you've got the the crosshairs on you again, not in a literal way, in a social media piling on pack mentality kind of way, and that's what we're seeing today. It's kind of it's kind of sad, quite frankly. One way or another, it's kind of sad. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show weeknights from seven to nine on AM nine hundred CHML. There is a um. There was another big event today uh, that happened in this city, as it happens every year. It is uh, it is an important event, too. It's the induction of the class of the Hamilton Sports Hall of Fame. I am a big believer in this. I lobby every year. I argue every year. This is something that was long overdue, started in 2010, but should have been in place way before that because we have had so many, so many great athletes come through this city that have kind of, not gotten the attention they deserve, quite honestly. Not the, not got the recognition they deserve, and from all different eras. Well, today, I'm going to bring Brian Lewis, the chairman of the Hamilton Sports Hall of Fame, into this. Uh, Brian, thanks for doing this tonight. Oh, thanks for uh, having me on. So today was a, a bit of a different one. Today was an interesting one that, honestly, some people will think this was great. Some people will think this was not as exciting. It was a legends class. The people that were inducted today... Um, they all go back a long, long way. None of them are still alive. Their families probably aren't still alive. Um, and yet some, Brian, some really, really interesting stories behind the people here, even though, again, they may not be familiar names, the stories behind them are amazing. Well, I think that's what, uh, it's a testament to the history of Hamilton sports. There, there are individuals, there are teams, there are builders, athletes, uh, that, people need to know to, 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 to learn more about and I think the, who we inducted today is a, is a testament to that let's let's go through some of these and again I'll let you fill in some of the blanks because again most of the names most of the people who were inducted when people hear these it may be woof right over their head because they, they I mean they, they just nothing resonates but let's tell some of the stories we'll start out with Dorothy Campbell uh, she was a golfer from literally the turn of the century from she was around in about 1900 why is Dorothy Campbell a Hall of Famer well that's an individual that won all of the tournaments uh, at a high level that she could possibly win at the time uh, and that just uh, is a testament to uh, the type of individuals that come through come through Hamilton, whether they're born in Hamilton or whether we're representing Hamilton, um, she is one that um, broke a lot of ground, broke a lot of barriers, uh, and has been recognized by other halls of fame. And I think that's something that we look at as well um, in terms of the criteria: is where where are other people recognized? And this is an individual that's been recognized by other halls of fame. And, and it isn't even known in Hamilton. And when we started out uh, this pr- uh, project in 2009, it wasn't just to honor the biggest names. It was to dig down and find the stories, uh, really, 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 really develop the, the history of uh, Hamilton sport. It's something that we could share with uh, uh, our children and our grandchildren and really educate ourselves. When you say, by the way, that Dorothy Campbell won every golf tournament available to her, back in the back when she was golfing, um, first of all, golf wasn't what it is today, obviously, and women's golf especially wasn't. So my understanding is that she had five, they didn't have a pro circuit, so there were five national tournaments that she could have won. 
right? And it was the Canadian, the U.S., the Scottish, the Bermuda, and the Great Britain. Is that right? And she won all of them? And she won. And she won, and, and most of what she did was while she was representing or living in, in, the city, in, in, in our city. So the, it's just an individual that you wouldn't have heard of otherwise. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's what we do. Um, I think that's what our job is to do uh, as, a, as a Hall of Fame, is to discover some of these uh, individuals, not discover these individuals, but to, to really share the story of, of these individuals and some of the teams that, are, that, that exist. Well, when you say discover, I don't really think that's a wrong word. I mean, maybe you want to say dig up these, and, and not obviously literally, but I mean, these are, these are people that have fallen into forgottenness for a lot of them. They were, they were enormous stars of their day. And I mean, I was talking to a couple of people today who were historians who were at the event and some of these people, I mean, even for them who were historians in their sport for years, knew nothing about these people. And it was not until someone stumbled upon the name and started digging. They went, Holy cow. I didn't even know about this person. Well, can you believe that the father of Canadian baseball was from Hamilton or represented Hamilton in a, in a William Shuttleworth? When we first received the nomination about I'm gonna have three, four, maybe five years ago, we had to believe that this individual actually existed. And yeah, he's kind of the bagger Vance of baseball. <laughs> and, and to know that William Shuttleworth actually was uh, integral in, in, in the development of baseball in Canada not just locally and uh, playing on the baseball grounds that were near Central, Park, Central School, but, but, but actually developed the game. And, and, and that was something, when we, well, again, when we started in 2009, uh, when, when our group, when our small committee of the whole started this, we knew the big names, uh, and everybody knew the big names, but it was the stories that came out uh, when we, you started digging into um, the history of Hamilton sport, that just started literally blowing you away in terms of the, uh, the, the, the how impressive their accomplishments were. Well, you know, when you talk, again, William Shuttleworth, who was another one, <clears throat> excuse me, of the people who was inducted today, and when you say the father of Canadian baseball, uh, I was talking to a baseball historian today at the event, and I didn't even know this stuff, but back, he was around in about the 1840s, between the 1840s and 1850s. It's a while ago. Uh, we're not personal friends. And he, baseball was not even a thing really then. I mean, it was, it was, nobody paid attention. The media, the newspapers of the time didn't cover it. And yet he had become this somehow, it's really unclear how, but had become this devotee of the game and kind of introduced it and sold it in this area created the first organized team in Canada and really turned Hamilton into arguably the hotbed of baseball going into the turn of the century. I knew none of that stuff. Well, and you're talking about it for us. You're, you're, yeah. And, and the more that we, more that we share these stories, the more impressive that it gets. Uh, Jack Caffrey is another name that is, that was inducted today. Jack Caffrey may be a little more familiar to some people because he was in the Billy sharing class. He was a long distance runner that some people may have heard of that name. Um, honestly, Brian, when you sat down as part of the committee, did, did you know much about him? No, 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 not, not at all. 
Uh, and when we started this again, we didn't know. Um, uh, but somebody like a Jack, Jack Caffrey dominated uh, long distance running. And so not only was a around the Bay Road race uh, winner uh, at the turn of the century in the 1800s, late uh, late 1800s, but also was winning the Boston Marathon. So he was he was ruling. He was your champion runner representing the community, and uh, that's just something that again, it's not a it it may, it may not be sexy um, in what we did today, and it may not be. Uh, the most exhilarating um, response that we'll receive, but I think what we did today in, in inducting in, in uh, uh, and a class of legends that is beyond what other people can do. Well, and and Jack Caffrey, this is this is interesting because Billy Sharing does have a big name in this community. People know him from the Around the Bay race, and what I was surprised by, and again, what I I mean. You're not going to like this today if you don't like history. If you don't have a an appreciation for history and for great stories, I'll grant you this is probably going to not be of great interest to you. I happen to, and I think a lot of other people do as well. Jack Caffrey, by a lot of accounts, was actually a better runner than Billy Sharing. He won the Boston Marathon twice. He won the Around the Bay twice. He was in the 1908 Olympics. And again, somehow... I don't know, Brian, how exactly it happens through the mists of time, but his name kind of disappeared and nobody really remembered him. I think that's what we're here for. Uh, when we, again, when we started in 2009, it wasn't just to honor the, uh, the, the, the biggest names in the history of sport uh, in Hamilton, but to, I think, our responsibility, uh, and it is our responsibility now that we've begun this, uh, to find these stories. And uh, that is just the we when we have our press conferences and when we share some of these stories with people, um, generally um, the response is shaking of the head. I had no idea. Uh, well, exactly, because Hamilton doesn't trumpet its trumpet itself, uh, and we're uh, just a small organization that is trying to do so. When you talk about, by the way, your responsibility or your obligation, uh, before I get to the final honoree today, one of the things that the Hall of Fame has done over the years is it has worked with the Hamilton School Board. And to me, that's one of the biggest parts of this. Because again, we I, I'm sure you would agree with me. There are people, Brian, who will not appreciate the history. They want sizzle, they want big names, they want star power. And uh, that's fine, that's understandable. But one of the things about bringing all these historic figures out into the open and bringing them back to life, in a, in a so to speak, their story anyway, is that when you're involved with the school, when these schools are using these people and their stories in the curriculum, suddenly now you actually have living history that kids who are coming along can learn something about. It's not just saying, hey, here's Dorothy Campbell. We're going to talk about her for five minutes today at the event and never mention her name again. Well, and, and that's what we hope, that, that, we, that, 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 that it isn't being done that way and that uh, with the creation of the education program in partnership with the Hamilton Spectator, that it's being developed in the school system that we are recognizing individuals and teams and builders of the community. And so that children today, tomorrow, 
are are being educated in in such a way that they're appreciating their history. Why does that matter? I mean, for I know what I would think, but from your your perspective, why does that matter? Well, I don't know. I I, <laughs> I, used, to, I used to be able to write essays in history and uh, and be able to get through school. I think I think I, I think it matters because you understand the culture of the city. That there, the, you have an appreciation and a real feel. It becomes emotional. So that the, when you're when you're part of the community, uh, when you're looking at that, if you're if you're a, if you're a kid looking to run track and field. If you're um, if, if 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 you're if you're looking to be involved in any way at, at all in terms of sport, uh, that there are luminaries to to follow. The other, the fourth honoree, it's a team, and this one, uh, I think a lot of people probably do know some of the background of this. It's the 1925 Hamilton Tigers, not the football Tigers. The Hockey Tigers, they were the NHL team that we had here for, I think, five years in Hamilton. But back in 1925, the season had been extended by six games, but the team didn't want to pay them any more money. So they said, you're not going to pay us more money. We're not going to play. They went on strike. They got suspended. They got sold. They moved to New York. And that was the last we saw of NHL hockey in Hamilton, at least as far as a team. There's a game here tomorrow night. It's the Leafs. A little bit different. But as far as having our own team, it was 1925 with the Tigers. Um, why the Tigers as a Hall of Fame team? Well, I think that that's a, a very... That's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a popularity thing. I think uh, the fact that uh, they, they tied into... What, what better city than Hamilton to have uh, a team uh, attempt to unionize? <laughs> that's true. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I think that's what we're going to honor our strikers. I tell you, yeah. There and there you go. And I think that's a uh, that's really uh, that's what it that 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 that's what it's all about. They they are one of the great parts of their story. And this is something that a lot of people probably also know. But maybe eight ten years ago, Sports Illustrated had this special thing in their magazine of the most desirable, the most rare, the most valuable pieces of sports memorabilia. And they were things like the gold medal that apparently Muhammad Ali threw in the river after the Olympics in protest. Or, um, I don't know, there was, there was all kinds of these really strange, rare, valuable things. Well, one of the 25 items that might have been on the list was a Hamilton Tigers sweater. I mean, who would have thought that of all the things in the world, a Hamilton Tiger sweater would fall into that group. Oh, that's amazing, and that's uh, the story of the, the 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 story of the Hamilton Tigers is really legend uh, a legend, and uh, uh, and we look to represent that today. I ask you this every time when we get this. We do this every year, and I ask you the same thing every time. But one of the pressing issues, I think, Brian, that a lot of people have about the Hall of Fame is they support the idea, they like the idea. But it's hard sometimes to really pour yourself into it because there's not someplace tangible to be able to see things, see plaques, see names. I mean, there's a website. But where are the discussions? Where is the planning? Where are things going as far as someday having something tangible, whether it's a, a walk of fame or plaques? or bu- Is there anything looming in, down the road for that kind of thing? Like we've said all along, within the first 10 years, there will be a place um, I think uh, we've talked about it, whether it's on this show or, or candidly uh, in, in other forums. 
Um, there will be a there will be a location. I think it's got to be the right choice. I think that uh, it's not a standalone pay of admission. It's it's something that should be should be available to all uh, without uh, without an admission cost. And I think we're getting closer, but I think it's got to be the right answer. And our our committee is working on that, and we're. We're diligent in, in, in trying to assure that within our ten, within within, a, within the first ten years, and we're in year seven right now. Uh, you're probably not going to tell me where that might be, but honestly, is there some place that the committee has as it as an idea or a target that you say it, it's not there yet? But is there something in mind that is the ideal of where you would really like to be? No, there isn't. There there isn't one location that our committee has uh, decided upon, and if there is, I would tell you. Oh, okay. Well, you know what? You know, you have our number. Uh, you know, one of the great things also about this today, I got to let you go in just a minute, but I'll say, um, there were, a, I don't know how many, 15, maybe today, former honorees that were there and, Amazing, wasn't it? uh, uh Russ uh, Jackson was, out. you know, it was great to see Ange Mosca out and looking fantastic. Cause we all know, I mean, Ange has been very public with some of the things that he's been dealing with. He looked great. Um, uh, I mean, who am I? Bob Krause was out there, and and I mean there was a ton Friday, of Friday. Uh, Bob Krause, Ed Beatty. Uh, it was amazing. Fifteen uh, past inductees uh, were attended today, and we were just blown away by the fact that uh, they each attended. And I think that just lends the lends credence to what we're doing in terms terms of legitimacy as well as the passion behind the sport. Brian Lewis, chairman of the Hamilton Sports Hall of Fame. Um, if you missed it today, there will be a piece in the spec tomorrow. If you missed it today and you don't see it in the paper or online tomorrow, HamiltonSportsHallOfFame.com, all the inductees. And importantly, because again, I, I, I'm vouching for this. I think this is really important. You can go to HamiltonSportsHallOfFame.com and nominate someone. If there's someone who's not on the list and not in the hall who you think should be there, that's the place to go and do it. Don't call me. Go there and put a name in, and who knows what might happen. Because, listen, if we can put, be putting in the people we put in today, all worthy, but in many cases not very well known, I would argue that if you've got someone who's a good idea, put them out there because they may get a crack. Well, and even if their name's on the list, send the email to info at hamiltonsportshalloffame.com. Fill us in. Provide provide the additional information that will help us. We're all volunteers that work on the program, uh, and there are, over the years, there's been over 50 people involved, whether it's in the selection process or on the Committee of the Whole, and we're looking to fight, dig up more of the good, great stories, but also uh, uh, discover others as well. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. Thank you. That is Brian Lewis, again, Hamilton Sports Hall of Fame, Hamilton Sports Hall of Fame. Com. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Back in May, some folks in Michigan found an eagle's nest. And that's kind of cool. I mean, I, I don't know how hard they are to find, but they decided, you know what, let's take a peek. And when they took a peek, they discovered there were some unhatched eggs in this eagle's nest. Even better. So they came up with this great idea. Let's put a GoPro camera in the nest. And we're going to film all this. We'll film the mother eagle coming back, doing whatever she does with the eggs. We'll presumably film them hatching at some point, maybe flying away. It's all going to be good. It's all going to be a great science, geography, biology, whatever 
ecology video. But they got a surprise because as they're filming these eggs that are just sitting there, of course, all of a sudden they notice in the background a little tiny on the ground, a small, all black, head to toe black on two feet walking around figure. And a lot of people apparently who were looking at this started wondering, could we finally have documented solid video evidence of Bigfoot? We've been waiting for years for some kind of established definitive proof. Could this be the proof that Bigfoot exists? Because if you watch the video, and I put the video up at the Scott Radley Show Facebook page, there's something there. It's not leaves blowing around. It's some kind of creature on two feet walking around from head to toe, all looking like they're in black fur. Well, I don't know who to call on this except for my next guest. He is the expert. He is the university professor who studies this, Dr. Jeff Meldrum, who is a anatomy and anthropology professor at Idaho State University who studies this kind of thing. He is an expert in the whole Bigfoot phenomenon. He joins me now. Doctor, thanks for doing this tonight. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, you've seen this video. What do you think? Well, I, I think that you've... Uh You've you've raised the bar pretty high in your description of it. It is intriguing, as as I've said publicly. It certainly is interesting, and and honestly, I know very little about the circumstance, and so have to evaluate it purely on on its face. And unfortunately, on its face, it's just uh, there's little to establish the scale and little to establish the details of, uh, of what it is you're looking at. You're absolutely right. I mean... In my mind, it either is somebody, um, you know, pranking these individuals, knowing that there was a camera up there, or indeed it is. I mean, there's no mistaking it for a bear or some other common form of wildlife. It is an upright figure walking on two legs, and but just what it is is a little bit uh, ambiguous at this point. That's why I wouldn't go to on go so far as to say that this was this constituted definitive proof, because we have other snippets of, of video and uh, taken in various circumstances. And of course, we're coming up on the 50th anniversary of the, of the notorious Patterson-Gimlin film, which, um, you know, is, stands head and shoulders above all of these other little um, snippets of, of film and, and um, GoPro cameras and, and uh, you know, smartphone shots. And yet we're still arguing about that 50 years later. So You are uniquely positioned because I can't imagine there are too many people who are in the academic world who have studied this as much so that you you have a high level of credibility around this. And I'm wondering because of that, how often do you get people sending you videos or sending you pictures or sending you some kind of so-called evidence, whatever to check, to say, Hey, I finally found Bigfoot. It must happen all the time for you. Well, it, it does happen frequently, but, but quite honestly, a lot of it goes directly to the Internet. And I guess, you know, I'm still old school enough that I have to ask myself, you know, why would someone who thinks they might have a, an important piece of scientific evidence post it on the Internet rather than seeking out the advice of an academic at a research institution, university, or otherwise, but I guess, you know, young people today, that, that's where you communicate, is <laughs> on YouTube and, and Facebook and so forth. So I, I shouldn't prejudge something by that. 
But on the other hand, I, you know, the, I think there's something to be said for someone who avoids bringing something directly to my attention versus someone who does seek out some expert opinion before they, they flaunt it on, on uh, public media. I mean, we've had a couple of uh, a very uh, widely publicized examples. There was one here in my own state of Idaho that was shot from a, um, a drone. And, uh, you know, there were red flags all over the place. But, boy, talk about uh, it, it created quite a hornet's nest of uh, discussion and debate over its legitimacy. And I actually took some flack for being rather uh, reserved and, mm. uh, and skeptical about it from, from some quarters. But sure, sure enough, I mean, the fellow who did it was, was quite taken aback by the reaction that it evoked and quickly um, shot another piece of footage and demonstrated that it was, in fact, just what I had thought was a, someone in a fursuit uh, pulling a prank just, just for the fun of it, you know, I guess. But Before we go on, is the correct word in proper usage Bigfoot or Sasquatch? Well, uh, it just depends. Um, the, the both are proper usage. I, I tend to use the word Sasquatch more frequently simply because Bigfoot has become so uh, um, tainted, I guess you'd say, uh, stigmatized by the uh, tabloid connotation, whereas uh, Sasquatch has a little more deference to the Native American traditions and knowledge of, of the existence of such creatures. And, and uh, But even that uh, has been so commercialized and so... Uh, a term that I use now uh, for a more ge- in a more general context is relic hominoids, which suggests that there are more than just Sasquatch. You know, this encompasses things like the Yeti or the Orang Pendek, uh, relic population, remnant populations of man-like uh, species of primates that have persisted in uh, remote uh, corners of the globe, and sometimes <laughs> right in our backyard, it would seem. This is, and I, I would think you would probably agree with me on this, but feel free not to. I, I'm, I'm just assuming. But this is one of those topics, one of those issues, one of those ideas that really divides people. You either believe it or you don't believe it, I would think. I, most people, I think, fall into one of those two categories. I can't imagine that there are too many people that fall into the mushy middle of, of absolute uncertainty. Yeah, and if they do, they, they're just not... not very vocal. They're, they're, they may be the silent majority, for that matter. <laughs> I think it's people who have the strongest opinions that are usually the most uh, most vocal about those opinions. But but you're right. It is very divisive, and and it has uh, it has been long uh, just rather curtly rejected by the scientific community, which has you know left me with with few colleagues to to discuss it with or to. Uh, I would imagine that would be the case because yeah. this is not. I mean. In you talked about the fact that you know the name Bigfoot. This is something that has, I would think, in your line of work in your area, something that you'd probably have to have pretty thick skin to be able to deal with some of the barbs that would come your way. Yes, and I and I do, and I have de- developed that. That, uh, but I'm I'm quite uh, confident and comfortable in my evaluation of the evidence that I've looked at, um, and you know, and I've and I've had. I, I shouldn't say that I'm I'm alone. There are those who have gone before me and. And colleagues um, who, behind the scenes, perhaps not as openly as I have, uh, engage this subject and and uh, and contribute to it uh, in in their own way. Um, but as far as speaking publicly and publishing publicly, and you know, trying to further 
the, you know, not, not to convince people that Sasquatch exists, that's not what science is about, but rather to, to engage people, engage my colleagues in a consideration of the evidence as, as evidence of the possibility that such things exist. And as I, as I suggested, you know, historically, there just hasn't been a drawer to stick this in. There hasn't been a, a niche in the existing paradigm. And when that is the case, and this is, you know, numerous examples of this throughout the history of science, if there isn't a, 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 some um, uh, framework with which to uh, uh, consider the evidence, it doesn't matter what you have as far as evidence, it will not you know, as, as one colleague said to me, it can't exist, therefore it doesn't exist, and I don't care what evidence you think you have. Well, that, that's a real scientific attitude, isn't it? <laughs> well, so I'm a, I mean, and this is indelicate, and I don't mean to be insulting, but you must get called names. I'm sure people have said you're nuts. Oh, yeah, quite regularly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not to my face, usually. The media sometimes, I mean, I, you know, I could tell you some, some really interesting and funny stories, you know, from a human psychology point of view of, of my interaction with a few select colleagues on campus and elsewhere <clears throat> and the way that they have uh, employed the media to get at me as best they could but it, it usually comes around to bite them in the end because <clears throat> excuse me allergies um, it uh, you know they these those who as, as I mentioned those who are most opinionated usually those who are most ignorant or uninformed let's put it that way that's a little kinder word uninformed on a subject often have the most ardent opinions on that subject because they just don't know what they're talking about so they can defend any position really and and that's what i find some of my most vocal critics have no background no no uh, acumen or training in the appropriate areas to evaluate the evidence that i'm dealing with you know i gave a talk one time at boston uh, uh, massachusetts general hospital in boston to the entire uh, podiatry unit out there and it was so refreshing to be able to talk shop, because, of course, my principal preoccupation with the evidence it, uh, revolves around the footprints. That's where my, if you will, orthodox uh, research activities focuses on the evolution of hominid bipedalism. And um, to be able to talk about the subtleties of the anatomy and the functional interpretations of, uh, you know, the signature uh, features of the footprints was just really, really interesting, and 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 the um, and the uh, uh, few examples of uh, uh, pathologies of diseased individuals with a deformed foot, say, to discuss uh, you know those features with them, and and to have them um, just be absolutely engaged in the anatomy, and not prejudiced by the possible implications of an acknowledgement that such a creature might in fact exist right under their noses, you know? <laughs> well, and I mean, when you talk about the prejudice, uh, listen, I, I will admit to you up front, I'm, I'm, I'm a skeptic, um, but I have to imagine too that for someone like you who is an academic who is trying, who is doing this seriously, there have been a lot of TV shows. I've, I've seen a number of them on right now that really, even they're supposedly in the reality TV, whatever, the schlock value gets driven up so high that even if you might have thought it, you're afraid to say so because then you look like you're a quack who's out there with the, the crazies who are hunting for this thing in the way they're doing it on TV. Right, and, and that's, that's been uh, you know, kind of a catch-22 in, in a way. I mean, I, I, I'm often asked, well, why, why do you do this? Why do you risk your reputation? Because in the end, you have no control, really, over the content 
um, even if you're very careful, as I always am, about what comes out of my mouth, it can be edited and placed in context that makes you uh, appear other than you are, in, in your, either in your intent or in your attitude or so forth. But on the other hand, the, they have provided over the years many, many uh, just uh, uh, fantastic opportunities that I wouldn't otherwise been, have been able to uh, afford or to have, have realized. For example, I was able to go to China and talk to eyewitnesses and, uh, and examine footprint evidence that was remarkable, in my, that in my mind was absolute. You, know, you, you talk about uh, absolute definitive proof. To find someone who knows nothing about Sasquatch in the United States who worked as a park ranger and had a sighting, uh, a visual sighting, followed up by casting two very clear footprints, which showed absolutely distinctive features that are present in the Sasquatch footprint, which he had no idea what they mean, how they relate to the functional anatomy of the foot, and yet are absolutely in agreement with examples that I had already studied here in the United States, uh, uh, but you know he had no way of knowing about um, that was a remarkable confirmation in my mind that yes, indeed, these things exist, and not only do they exist here, but they, uh, you know, their ancestors and distant cousins now still exist in Asia, in China, and Central China, and other areas where similar footprints have been found. So those kind of things are are priceless, and uh, you know, if I have to take a few dings for a, a little bit of schlock value that, uh, as you say, that comes uh, through on these things. Uh, you know, so be it. It's been well worth it. And, and you know, uh, you know, people know what Sasquatch, or at least they have an idea that there might be something out there. They might not always get the most serious treatment, as you as you point out, but nevertheless, they're they're familiar. And and it has brought other people. I mean, on, some people react the way you describe, but other people react just the opposite. When they see someone on television, like myself, or another, you know, a police officer, or or a state veterinarian or a wildlife biologist acknowledge that, hey, uh, I've had an experience that I can't otherwise account for, then they're willing to come forward and say, well, I had something like that too, but I was, you know, afraid to bring it up previously because I didn't want to. And, and there still are people. I still have people who contact me who do not want their name used, who do not want it publicized because they are afraid that they won't be taken seriously at work or, you know, their job might be in jeopardy. Or yeah, you don't want it, it, to... A, it's a risky one to uh, to attach your name to it. You, when you talk about all this, though, the number one question, and I'm sure this is the, the question you, probably at the top of the list I would guess that you get is, if they exist, if they're out there, and I know you, you, know, you study footprints and other things, if they're out there, how come we've never found a carcass? How come we've never had a clear sighting? How come we've never had a high-definition video shot? They're always blurry and dancing behind trees or whatever. Where is, if they exist, why do we not really know they exist? Oh, how much time do I have? <laughs> About a minute, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, well, well, that's just it. I mean, when it comes to, to videos, you know, uh, a lot of people are, are have cameras and they're handy now, but they're extremely uh, unprofessional in, in their ability to take a picture, especially under potentially stressful circumstances. Um, so we, we do have, and like I said, I mentioned the Patterson-Gimlin film. You know, people have been trying to punch holes in that for 50 years and have failed, really failed, to conclusively uh, falsify that piece of, of remarkable evidence. And to my eyes, it is really remarkable. Um, you know, the carcass, the, 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 the body... 
I think that has to do a lot, uh, mostly with the rarity, the rarity of a large-bodied, long-lived, solitary, far-ranging animal that's at the top of its food chain, has no natural predators, isn't hunted by man, and so when it dies, it dies a natural death. And boy, I tell you, in the, in the environments that those uh, these creatures live, as with any other animal out there, I mean, you know, you you ask a hunter. Uh, or uh, an avid outdoorsman, how many bear carcasses have they found that haven't been shot or uh, or hit by a car, uh, the roadkill? And precious few are found. Uh, something like cougars, something like wolverines. Ask outdoorsmen how many wolverine carcasses or skeletons have they found in the wild? And 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 I and I wager you'll not find any, if or very few, that have mm. ever come upon those. It's but, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a vexing question, but, but it, it, in, in itself, it's not a damning one. You know, the lack of evidence, when you really consider the context and the, the, uh, the circumstances involved, as opposed to accounting for the evidence we have in hand, footprints, hair that can't be attributed to known species, we do have very clear visuals. You know, I've talked to people who have seen them in broad daylight at course, close quarters. And, you know, it's how do you call that person a liar? You know, people that I know that I have come uh, to become good friends with who've had such experiences, excuse me. And uh, so, you know, a lot of people have had those kinds of experiences, people who are experienced, who are composed and serious and sober. and, and uh, You believe. You, I mean, it sounds very clear, like you believe well, that they I'm are there. Convinced. I'd rather say I'm convinced. You know, belief has belief, just like Bigfoot, has this stigma attached to it. Fair enough. As Fair enough. Ideological skeptics, you know, use true believer as a pejorative label. But I'm, I'm convinced on the, on the basis of the evidence, not convinced in the absence of evidence. So. Dr. Jeff Meldrum, you can actually, you go online, there's a lot of stuff about Dr. Meldrum, a lot of stuff that he's talked about, interviews he's given, videos that he's done. Uh, if this is of interest to you, go look it up. Jeff, you, you, Doctor, you've put, you've filled the internet, quite frankly. I, I don't know, you've provided half the content that's on there, at least the stuff we can look at at work. So um, I appreciate you taking some time tonight and sharing it with us. And uh, fascinating video, fascinating topic. Thanks for the time. Uh, again, he like there is go, M-E-L, that's Jeff with a J, and then M-E-L-D-R-U-M, Dr. Jeff Meldrum. There's a lot of stuff that's on there. He's given interviews. He's talked about all, all kinds of things related to Sasquatch, related to Bigfoot. I, I said to him, clear out. I am very skeptical. I, I, I don't really believe it. I'll be honest. But. That's my opinion. He has an opinion. He's done the studying. He believes it's there. Go go look it up. It's fascinating. And also, go to the Scott Radley Show Facebook page, and I have posted, as I say, the video that we're talking about that started this whole thing, this Eagle's Nest video with something walking around in the background. You decide. Human person pranking the filmmakers or Bigfoot? The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900, AM 900, CHQ.